This is Chichester Cinephile, the podcast for Chichester Cinema at New Park in Chichester, West Sussex. Find us at chichestercinema.org. Well, this is all very exciting. This is the first Chichester Cinephile for Chichester Cinema at New Park. First of all, let me introduce you to my colleagues. We have... I'm Carol Godsmark, and I do the PR marketing for the cinema. I'm Patrick Hargood, and I'm Deputy Education Officer at Chichester Cinema. And I'm Sandy Guthrie. Uh, We're going to be previewing some of the films that are going to be showing at Chichester Cinema at New Park over the next month or so. We've also got some interviews and a bit of discussion about the education department. By way of introduction, we're going to be asking everyone what was the first film they remember seeing in the cinema and what film do they think should be compulsory viewing. So, Patrick, what was the first film you remember seeing? Well, I'm not absolutely sure what the first film I saw. The first one I remember seeing was uh, 101 Dalmatians, Walt Disney, 1963, and I vividly remember Cruella de Vil from that. And what film do you think should be made compulsory? Compulsory viewing, I would say The Big Sleep, the uh, Howard Hawks 1946 version with Bogart and Bacall. I'd go along with that. And Carol? Well, I think my mother made a big mistake because she took me to the Red Shoes when I was about six or seven. I'm not absolutely sure when. And, of course, the Red Shoes is not purely about ballet, but there's a heck of a lot of other stuff going on, including a suicide under a train. <laughs> and I don't think <laughs> my mother really thought this was <laughs> thought this through. <laughs> and compulsory viewing, gosh, there's so many... My father started a, a, a little cinema in Prague when we were living there, and he had a 35mm projector, and we showed films because we couldn't find the cinema. So I think I first started off with Androcles and the Lion, um, aged eight, and that, to me, sort of epitomizes my my awakening of cinema. So it's a strange choice, but there we are. No, it's a good choice, good choice. Now, Patrick may not be surprised because we are the same age, basically, within a couple of months. The first film I saw was also 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> my sister picked me up from school and took me without any warning, and it was rather wonderful. And I watched it recently with my uh, grandson, and it still looks pretty good. My compulsory film is a, a bit of a cliche, but Casablanca, uh, everybody should see it. It's the nearest thing I can think of to a perfect film. Uh, it's got everything. And I watched that recently again, of course. And it still stands up. Uh, it's of its time, but it still stands up today. So, um, okay, that introduces us a little bit. We're going to go through the previews now, and um, we're going to find out what's, what's caught our eyes from the programme for the next month or so. So, Patrick. Okay, so a film I'm really looking forward to seeing is The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Now, to be honest, even if every film critic on Rotten Tomatoes has said this was lousy, I mean, they don't actually, as a 64% fresh rating, I would still have been in line to see it. I booked a ticket without even reading a single review. I absolutely love the original novel, and I think Terry Gilliam's films are always worth seeing. Agreed, some of them are a bit chaotic in structure and don't really work, but they always have memorable sequences, and some of them are exceptional. Brazil, 12 Monkeys. You just know that this is not going to be a safe 
reverential version of a classic and it isn't um i i gather from the trailer and so on there's a film within the film there's time travel all sorts of typical gilliamisms anyway here's a clip with jonathan price as an aging spanish cobbler who believes that he really is the knight of the mournful countenance don quixote himself and adam driver as toby whom he mistakes for his squire sancho panza Look, do you remember years ago, about 10 years ago, I was making a film? You were just an old man I found. I was lost. Forgotten. Yeah, right, but then I found you, and I thought, this guy has an interesting face. It's the kind of face I'd use now to sell insurance. I owe you a great debt, Sancho. You're restoring to me. You really don't remember. Don Quixote de la Mancha! The Knight of the Mournful Countenance, come to restore the lost age of chivalry by a special will of heaven. Yes. Well, I wrote that. Okay. I adapted it. The screenplay is a very different language to a novel, but it's... The cast also features Stellan Skarsgård. Look, I'm, I'm there already. I'm sitting in MA. I'm waiting for it to start. <laughs> I've gone, the first film that I've gone for is A Paris Education. Uh, these, these films that we're all talking about are in the March program. Uh, the Paris Education is very much just like a, a Francois Truffaut f- film. It tells the story of Etienne, who goes from Lyon to Paris to go to uh, a film school. And he meets up with... Um, Uh, young people of his own age and they talk about books they talk about films and they it's it's all about the meaning of life etc etc and it's in black and white so therefore that's the sort of Truffaut feel that you get from it and the one of the characters asks do you think that cinema can save the planet well that's very uh, debatable, and I think we might all like to agree that there's a certain aspiration towards that with, with cinema. If you want to see a um, terrific, nostalgic fr- uh, French New Wave film, then perhaps it's shot in black and white. It's maybe that time to choose A Paris Education, which is showing on the 6th, the 7th, and the 9th of March. Okay, my choice, the first choice, is Clint Eastwood's 41st film as a director, which is scary, and it's his 90th birthday in May this year. The film is Richard Jewell. It's a true story about a security guard who saved hundreds of lives at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, but then was vilified by the press, who falsely reported that he was the terrorist. It's uh, interesting that other recent Eastwood films have also been true stories. There was the 1517 to Paris, Sully, Miracle on the Hudson, J. Edgar Hoover, or J. Edgar it was called, and Invictus, of course. So he's, he's got a, quite a track record for doing true films. In this one, uh, Paul Walter Hauser is Richard Jewell, who was in I, Tonya, Black Klansman and Late Night. Sam Rockwell is his lawyer. Olivia Wilde is a journalist who sleeps with an FBI agent, played by John Hamm, to get the story, although this part of the story is, shall we say, disputed and has upset some people. Kathy Bates is Bobby Jewell, and here is Kathy Bates at a press conference. Approximately four weeks ago, over 100 people were injured and two people lost their lives as a result of the bombing. My heart goes out to these victims 
and their families. I am so very drained. I do not think any of you can even begin to imagine what our lives are like. The media has portrayed my son as the person who has committed this crime. They have taken all privacy from us. They have taken all peace. The FBI follows his every move and watches my home constantly. And why? My son, my son is innocent. Another really enticing looking film is The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. And this is another film that didn't need anyone to convince me to book a ticket. It's a, a psychological period horror film, the best kind. You remember The Innocents, anybody? Uh, filmed in black and white in a weird aspect ratio, last used for silent films, which is actually slightly narrower than the old Academy ratio that was used in the golden age of Hollywood. And it's loosely based on a fragment of a story by Edgar Allan Poe, and it's influenced by the work of Herman Melville and Robert Louis Stevenson. So what's not to like? Here is Willem Dafoe as the lighthouse keeper, channeling his inner Robert Newton, not just chewing the scenery, but swallowing it whole. Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! Hello! Bid our father, the sea king, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury, black waves teeming with salt foam, to smother this young mouth with pungent slime. To choke ye, engorging your organs, till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells, with slithering tentacled tail and steaming beard, take up his fell befinned arm, his coral tine trident screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet. All right, have it your way. I like your cooking. The voice you heard at the end of the clip was co-star Robert Pattinson sent to the eponymous lighthouse to work under Defoe's supervision. The cinematography looks fabulous and it all sounds hugely enjoyable. One thing I'd like to add to The Lighthouse is that uh, Peter Maxwell Davis based his opera, uh, The Lighthouse, on um, this uh, Edgar Allan Poe unfinished poem. And I was actually in Orkney to uh, see the world premiere of this. And I can tell you, it was scary as hell. And this was on a, on a school... Um, platform as well. Just imagine what this film is going to do to you when you see it on the screen. It's going to be wonderful. Go and see it. My uh, second choice is Midnight Family. Uh, this is a documentary from Mexico, and it's filmed in Mexico City um, at nighttime, and it features a family, the Ochoa family, who are uh, one of the 45 ambulance drivers. They have their own ambulances in, in the city, and they go around picking up people to ferry to hospitals or to clinics or whatever. Uh, the father uh, is the driver, 
and he's quite morose, and obviously money is a big issue with, with the family. And the 17-year-old son is in charge of the finances because the people on the ambulances have to pay up front. And that's always a, a bone of contention, especially when you're, when you're that ill or when you have agitated patients, etc. Um, it's a, a most remarkable film. That's on the 13th, 15th, and 17th of March. It's um, sort of a real-life answer to fiction movies like Taxi Driver, Collateral, The Sweet Smell of Success. And those of, of us who think that some music can be very, very intrusive in films, there is none. Hooray. That's interesting. I that one marked down as an interesting film as well, so uh, looking forward to seeing that. My next choice is a story I didn't know anything about at all, another true one. It's called Mr Jones. It's a biopic of a Welsh journalist who broke the story of the famines in the Soviet Union in the 1930s. It stars, as Mr Jones, uh, James Norton, who was recently in Little Women, but mostly um, you probably know him from TV. He's been in The Trial of Christine Keeler. He's very good in that. War and Peace, uh, Grantchester, McMafia, Happy Valley, also good in that. The director is Agnieszka Holland, who made a film in 1990, it doesn't seem that long ago, called uh, Europa Europa, which was an interesting um, film, but mostly she's been working in TV, it seems, recently, with the US version of The Killing, the US version of House of Cards, and The Wire. She's directed episodes of those. In this clip, we hear Mr Jones trying to make a phone call to Moscow. Mr. Club? Yeah. Telephone, please. Okay, sorry. Спасибо. Hello? Paul, this is Gareth Jones in London. Listen, I'm on my way to Moscow. Gareth, I've been trying to reach you. So we're coming here. Paul, I need your help again, this time arranging an interview with Stalin. Please tell me you know a way. Go see Walter Durante at the New York Times. He has influence. I'm persona non craft at the moment. Listen, I really need to talk to you. I found something big. You can break this story wide open. It's worse than we thought before. Paul? Paul? Adio. Okay, so Parasite is a film that uh, I'd heard a lot about and I'd prick my ears up when I heard the, the story to it, which was apparently um, it's a South Korean film and it's about a um, hard-up family who infiltrate the house of a wealthy family pretending not to be related. And immediately I thought, what does this remind me of? And I realised, of course, it reminded me of uh, The Servant, which was uh, the pinter-scripted uh, Joseph Losey film, which was one of the, my favourite films of the 60s. So I thought, this sounds really interesting. It's directed by the Korean director Bong Joon-ho, who made one of my favourite monster movies of this century, The Host. Um, so I, I, this looked one of the most intriguing ones on the rest of the season. Oh yeah, and of course it has also won the Best Picture Oscar and several others as well. And um, so considering that uh, after nearly 100 years, the members of the Academy have finally uh, got to grips with subtitles, that's uh, something to celebrate, I think.
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Um, so book up now is all I can suggest, as there aren't that many screenings. Um, my third choice is And Then We Danced, and this is uh, a film from Georgia. That is Georgia the country and not Georgia the state. And it's about a dancer who's part of the National Georgian Ensemble. His name is Merab, and he's been with the ensemble for 14 years and feels very comfortable in his position in the ensemble. And he is literally thrown off balance with the arrival of a newcomer, um, Iraqi, who's gifted and r rebellious. But will Merab's relationship with Mary, a female dancer, be at risk? And why? To have soft limbs is, is to be weak. To lose strength in your muscles is to fail. And not manly. This passionate coming-of-age story is set in conservative Georgia, where a man has to be a man. And it's, it's a beautiful film. I recommend it highly. And to illustrate it, we've got a little bit of the soundtrack, because... Um, well, none of us speak Georgian. <laughs> Not yet. Now, did you know that the first ever feature film is thought to be the story of the Kelly Gang in 1906? Because it had a narrative that ran over 60 minutes, which was incredible at that time. Since then, there have been, well, at least 11 Ned Kelly films, including Mick Jagger in 1970 and Heath Ledger in 2003. Well, now we have a version based on Peter Carey's Booker Prize winning True History of the Kelly Gang, which I read and it was a really good book. This it seems to be a more punky version of the story. The, the book certainly concentrated on the sociological background to the Ned Kelly story. It's set in the 1870s when um, basically they were at war with the English oppressor in Australia. This Ned is played by George Mackay, who was in 1917, uh, Captain Fantastic, Pride, Sunshine on Leith, films like that. He's been busy recently and he's very mm. good in all of them and very different in all of them, which I think is interesting. Uh, there's um, a bush ranger who's his sort of mentor, if you like, Harry Power, is played by Russell Crowe. Also stars Charlie Hunnam and Nicholas Holt. The director is Justin Kurtzel, who directed Assassin's Creed, the 2015 version of Macbeth with Michael Fassbender and Marianne Cotillard. We've also been round and spoken to other people at the cinema to find out what they're looking forward to in the next month or so. Hello, Rosemary Coxon here. I'm the Education Officer at Chichester Cinema New Park. The film I'm really looking forward to is Emma because I taught the book for A-Level and our eldest daughter is named Emma. Hi, I'm Marilyn Humphrey. I'm a volunteer here. I also use the studio for Talks at Six on a Thursday and we've got some coming up in the summer. I love coming to the films here. I'm seeing Lab OM on Sunday and I've got plenty more to come up as well, which is going to be Emma, So Long My Son, Mr Jones, Riverdance, to name a few. 
So I'm Giselle. I'm a volunteer for the the cinema, and I've been a volunteer for six or seven years now. And I'm looking forward to the film with uh, Tom Hanks, which is a um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. And why? I don't know. <laughs> Because it looks like if uh, it's going to be a good film, there's a good review. Yeah. And I like everything everything they do here anyway. My name is Sarah Sanders. I'm Mark Bradshaw, the projectionist's partner. I'm a volunteer here as well. I used to work here. I'm looking forward to lots of films coming up, in particular Parasite, because it obviously won the Best Picture Oscar and the Best Director Oscar. And there's several other Oscar films I haven't seen yet, like Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and Bombshell and Harriet, to uh, just clock up to make sure I've seen them all. As well as the new films, we've got some films that have been um, returned by popular demand. And one I'm particularly looking forward to that I didn't manage to see the first time around was Harriet which is the story of Harriet Tubman, um, who um, helped um, a lot of slaves escape from the south to the north. A story that's always fascinated me, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. There's three, actually, that I saw the first time round, which I would strongly recommend and which, which Walter's brought back. There's Ken Loach's Sorry We Missed You, which was an extremely powerful rage against the gig economy, which on the night I saw it, which was the week of the election, provoked a verbal outburst at its conclusion from members of the audience, which is very interesting. Yeah. Also, there is Wang Shi Shui, So Long My Son, three-hour Chinese epic about the travails of two families over the course of 30 years, which is told in a non-linear narrative, which is disorienting at times. I remember thinking part of the way through, I'm really not getting my head around this, but ultimately all the pieces fall into place and it is an extremely absorbing and fascinating film. But best of all for me of the ones that are being brought back is uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I thought was a beautifully acted period drama of forbidden love stunningly shot on the coast of Brittany with some absolutely terrific performances that enable it to transcend gloriously any tendency to melodrama. I would highly, highly recommend the, the ones that you mentioned. And I also would like to recommend Two Popes, which is really quite extraordinary. Um, both actors in it, um, Jonathan Price and... Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Sorry, Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> no, just Anthony will do. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, they're obviously relishing this. The dialogue is absolutely astonishing. It's very intelligent, very witty, very... And it's not sentimental, but it tells the tale of this most unusual thing, which one pope who's still alive is relinquishing his um, post as pope, which hasn't happened for 800 years. And it's really an absolute delight. Don't miss that one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. You ain't heard nothing. Now, Carol, you want to talk about the quiz night that's coming up. Yes, you might have this already in your diary, but if you don't, then do put in March the 7th. 
and the annual Chichester Cinema at New Park Film Quiz has for the past 10 years been held at the Minerva Bar and Grill at the Chichester Festival Theatre. It's hosted by the general manager, Walter Francisco, and film lecturer Richard Cupidi. Tickets are 24, and you can get them from the box office or call 01243 786 650. As a warm-up, here are some very easy questions based on the award season's films. And no, they're not part of the actual quiz. Answers are at the end of the blog. First question is, how many versions of Emma have there been made into feature films? Think about that one, because not only were they made into feature films, but also TV series, which I haven't counted, and nor the musicals and the plays, etc. The second one... Who was Fred Rogers and who plays him in the film A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? It's had rave reviews, this one. And the third question is, who did Sam Mendes dedicate his triumphantly successful World War I film 1917 to? Great, and the answers will be at the end. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And now we're joined by Walter Francisco, who's General Manager of Chichester Cinema at New Park. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Um, first question we're going to ask everybody, what was the first film you remember seeing in a cinema? I can't remember the exact one, but I'm, it's, if it's not this one, it's either. Um, it's a Mexican film with someone called Cantiflus, um, his popular Mexican comedian, sort of, I guess, like Charlie Chaplin of Mexico. Anyway, this would have been in Sydney and there were like screenings by a a Portuguese projectionist who'd bring the whole Portuguese community and he'd bring Portuguese films and Spanish films and so on. And I remember watching this one when I was really young and it was sort of slapstick type of thing. The other one which could have been, it was a James Bond film in that same cinema um, and I remember being very young for that one as well. So it's one of those two. Which James Bond? Um, I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, you have. What year was You Only Live Twice or... No, not, not, no, that's not it, that's not it. Um, never Say Never Again. It's one, it's oh, one okay. of those um, yeah. late 70s ones, yeah, right. mid to late 70s, yeah. So what film do you think should be compulsory viewing? That's almost like saying, what's your favourite film, which is a difficult question. Thanks for that. Um, City of God. Um, I absolutely adore that film. Um, it's one of these films that I can watch over and over again, the same excitement, just talking about it now. It's like, yep, time to watch it again. It's vibrant, it's got great music, it's over a whole period of time, so you've got different looks to the film. Oh, it's a great film, yeah, Brazilian film. So, I imagine a lot of your time is spent uh, tracking down films, choosing the films, putting the programme together. How do you set about that? Yeah, well, we have six programmes a year, five of which I do. They're the seasonal programmes, so the spring, summer, autumn, winter, and the awards season. Basically, as soon as I get one done, a couple of weeks of not looking at it and then I'm off doing the next one basically I have a you know there's sort of a radar of what films are coming out so you've got your obvious films like you know at the moment you've got 1917 and David Copperfield and Parasite and things like that so they're obvious you're going to put that in Um, but then I look sort of just under that layer and see what films would be interesting to show like oh there's a good one from Germany there's a one from China which was which was very good in you know in Germany or whatever and so let's try showing that and obviously have to be able to show it It has to be a distributor yeah and then once I think yeah I'd like that film I try and figure out how many screenings 
something like 1917, for example, that's a no-brainer. I'll put it on for two weeks, uh, twice a day in the first week. But then there's other ones like So Long My Son, the Chinese film that I was sort of implying there. It's a three-hour and ten-minute film. You know, how, long do you, how many screenings do you put of that one? You know, so I'll put no more than two screenings of that. But then sometimes that comes and you know, bites you in the backside. You know, like So Long My Son is, I, I thought I'd get maybe 20 people each screening. And it's sold out twice. Had to bring it back another time. That's sold out. I mean, how is that possible? <laughs> we were looking at some of the um, back by popular demand yeah. films. So it must be the most difficult thing, trying to decide how many showings. Uh, yeah, and, and that's because we're, we're a single screen. Mm. Because unlike multiplexes, they just show every film. And the bigger films, they'll show nonstop. And other ones, they'll show a lot. You know, they don't have a problem with that. They don't mind having 20 people sitting in a 200-screen cinema because they'll you know, they'll make up for it with the numbers overall, but not us. Um, we have a single screen, 115 seats. So you've got to be really frugal. You've got to, you want to show big films, once again, 1917, as much as you can to make everybody happy and be able to see it. But then you've got to cut that off after two weeks because there are so many other films to fit into this single screen. Uh, what are you particularly looking forward to showing in the next month or so? Um, I'm looking forward to Lighthouse. It looks sort of spooky, eerie. I love sort of weird films like that. So that's one that I'm definitely looking forward to. Had you interviewed me last week, I would have said I'm looking forward to Jojo Rabbit because that's really my type of film. And I did see that, you know, just watched it again. And uh, that's brilliant. Um, what else? Uh, a Paris Education. Actually, Lighthouse, Paris Education, both black and white. That's weird. <laughs> and they're both ones we've discussed earlier in this Oh, podcast. really? Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe something you haven't. Queen and Slim. No, Queen and Slim, that looks really interesting. Um, the guy from uh, Get Out, um, and it's like a Bonnie and, modern Bonnie and Clyde type of film. Yeah, looking forward to that. Good, thank you very much. No problem. You're going to need a bigger boat. Last year was the ruby anniversary of the cinema here, and that's 40 years. It's a long time. Earlier last year, Walter talked to the founder, now president and artistic consultant, Roger Gibson. He asked him how it all started. I was teaching at Chichester College of Technology. I was lecturing in art and uh, history of art and film, and Dr Gorry, the principal, said, what about starting up a film, a, a film society? So I said, uh, OK, because I'd already been doing a bit of film, apart from the film studies thing, with the liberal studies and all that kind of thing, showing the odd film. So we started it in 1979, hence the fact that it's 40 years old, at the college, up in the main, up in the main uh, hall. It was a very bizarre situation, because in order for me to be uh, paid, um, it had to be a, a kind of a course or a, so we had a register of just over 200 people that had to come in and tick and, 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 and sign. So were they all students? No, there were anybody that wanted to join. Oh, okay. They had to join, they yeah. had to join. In fact, I've got the, uh, the first programme here somewhere so you can have a look at it. Um, there we are. And it, was a, it, it had a very, very awkward title at the beginning. It was called Chichester College Adult Education Film Society. Oh, yeah. And it was uh, over 40 films for £10. Uh -huh. And then you had guests and, and so forth. So we started with, in fact, uh, Woody Allen's Love and Death on uh, the 20th of September 1979. Oh, so they were up, it was up at the, um, at the main hall, mm -hmm. set, seated about two... 200 and then I think the following year we used the lecture theatre to have a second lot of, a lot of screenings. Yeah. Just going back slightly, so when the Granada closed, 
were you living in Chichester or near Chichester? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, and, yes, and did yes. you feel the need for a cinema? Like, it, did, did the community, the Chichester Never community... Never even thought about it as a cinema, as a film society. Yeah, you didn't but, but I mean, did, did the, did the no, city because, uh, the feel the need for no, it? No, because yeah. the important thing to remember is that the cinema attendance was going down and down oh, and yeah. down. And by yeah. 1985, the year of uh, what was called British Film Year, that David Putman tried to introduce to bolster it, it was at its nadir. It was yeah. absolutely, and then it slowly went went up. Yeah. So there was absolutely, I mean, if you couldn't run a cinema, if you couldn't run a cinema, you couldn't run a cinema because it was financially not not okay. not, not not viable. So and film societies actually flourished a little bit yeah. in that. So way. where did people go to cinema if they lived in Chichester? Where where would they? Well, have I think there's one in Bognor still. Bognor was still yeah, available. Yeah. yeah. There were some some of these big cinemas that used to. Um, well, I, they didn't do it with this one, obviously, where they would uh, triple it. So the top. The top balcony would become mm. one screen, yeah. halved, and then the bottom they'd have two smaller screens. Oh wow! They were pretty. They weren't very. Yeah. They were, you know, but they were just a, a way of getting three screens in oh, instead okay. of one. Yeah, yeah. That was the beginning of the so-called multiplex. Oh, of course. I see. Oh. Okay. okay, so back at the at the college, you start this um, film society, and it takes off pretty quickly, I assume, because it's not too long before you start getting noticed by the film society people and yeah that's right uh, uh, we um, it, it, it was a su success straight away there was obviously a, a demand of the yeah. cinema cl closing down and hence we did the second screenings on uh, um, in the le lecture theater over the over the first few years we were just at the college and uh, I think I mentioned to you uh, up in about 1980 in 1985 there was the British film year where we showed a lo whole load of um, British films um, one of the films we showed then which was Terry Gillian's film um, Brazil yeah, yeah that's right which hadn't been shown for a while and everyone uh, came to it that hadn't seen it couldn't understand how they'd never seen it because I think it's very very much it's got, gone under the carpet and of course we're on 16 mil that's another thing important to say we're on 16 mil uh, at the, at at the, the college at the college yeah. um, and uh, also when um, we moved over here well it got a bit complicated because we were running the film society then got called the Chichester College Film Society I, I think uh, from that awful awful title and then uh, I found out about this place and we did some junior film club ones over at the college but we moved it over to here it looked like a better better place so I started to do junior film club in the morning and in the afternoon mm -hmm. and then we started to introduce while we're still doing it over there introducing some um, sort of all-night things are much for the much sort of younger audience mm -hmm. in well so and where was the all-night ones they in, were at here the college or here at no New no, no no that sorry that we when I went to the film club, uh, the junior film club, mm. that was that was over here. Okay. It was started over there, but it went o over here. So when we moved over here, there were the rake there, there were rake seats, seats, yeah. but they were pushed right back. We were only here for a short time, so we couldn't use the rake seats because it was quite complicated to bring them out. Mm -hmm. um, and you had to put the seats on and so yeah. forth. So we had a table, yeah. and I had two 16 mil projectors, and we had a sheet for a screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, doing the all-night shows, my wife and daughter used to do the, the food, you know, we had these Frankfurter, uh, Frankenstein Frankfurters and <laughs> Dracula soup and all kinds of stuff like, like that. It was great fun. And then slowly, because of the college hall being used for exams and all mm. sorts of things, it be became difficult to continuity, you know, yeah. so we moved over here, I think, for three or four days, which slowly took over. Yeah. In 1987, was it, um, the, one of the other Ruby Tuesdays that we did, we had uh, <coughs> Tony Palmer bringing the 
his film down testimony about Shostakovich, which was one of the first films we showed on 35 mil. Mm -hmm. So we gradually changed from 16 to... We had a terrible period with the 35 mil, with the number of um, different projectors that we... We had a cowboy, basically, that we didn't realise, you know, and it wasn't bright enough. Finally, we managed to get some good second-hand... Are you sure it wasn't the sheet as the screen that wasn't bright enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, by then I think we'd sort of upmarketed a bit. I think oh, we got okay. something a little bit better. You that was a new just sheet. A, that was just with the kids and the old night ones and yeah. so forth. We showed things like Wood Woodstock, all that kind of thing as well. Well, my but wife, years before I met her, um, she came here to see The Exorcist, and uh, one of the first things she mentioned was like years later, oh, I remember the orange chairs. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that, you mentioned that because one of the, again, the big problems, when we did have the, uh, the rake seating and it was, uh, we took it out, we had to put all the red plastic chairs mm -hmm. on there. We then had to, at the end of the evening, 11 o'clock, we had to stack them, push them back because there was a play group in the morning. Yeah. From Monday to Friday, there was, there was a play group. It's still a film society. And as I said, the, the Film Society Award people start taking notice, and I believe we won an award or two. Yes, I can't. We had about three altogether, I think. But yeah. there was a Film Society of the Year, or which I think was the biggest, biggest one. And that's national. That's national. Yes, not yeah. best in Chichester. No, no, that's that's that, that's that, that that's national. They were the, they were held at the uh, at the National Film Theatre, and mm -hmm. in fact, Derek Malcolm was the chairman of the of the society at, at that stage. Mm -hmm. And the national uh, the the one that we won the Film Society of the Year award, uh, we had uh, um, Mike Lee present. The other person, by the way, also part of the um, uh, of the of the awards. Um, I can't remember which year it was now. Uh, we had Tony Curtis. Wow. In, in fact, you know, there's a very nice photograph of him presenting it to not me, to Joe. Oh, wife, yeah. how did Joe get in there? <laughs> Bit of a fan, is she? <laughs> and then in terms of, um, in terms of talking about personalities, one of the next things that happened fairly quickly, and it happened originally at the college, I did a retrospective on Alec Guinness. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to see whether he, he would be interested in coming, and he did actually. I've got, I've only got one here, but I, he used to send me these lovely little postcards, handwritten. Uh -huh. um, and we originally arranged to meet him uh, or for him to do a, a Q and A over at the college uh, to show. I, th I can't remember what the title of the film was, but it, he played Hitler, oh very yeah. controversial because yeah. he made him a little bit sympathetic. I'd okay. say, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, eventually we managed to um, arrange uh, a Q and A and a film uh, here. So now Patrick's going to put on his education team hat. So um, just a quick word about one of our most recent education events. Um, just on Saturday, 22nd of February, we uh, put on a uh, celebration of the work of Tex Avery, the animation director, on the 40th anniversary of his death. Um, and for this event, I was assisted by Barbara Ely, who's also in the education team at Chichester Cinema, and also the um, projectionist at the cinema and animation expert, Paul Stanley. And what we did was we looked at a selection of his short films, including Red Hot Riding Hood, Screwball Squirrel, Northwest Hounded Police, featuring the lugubrious beagle Droopy, and What's Buzzing Buzzard. And Tex Avery directed the first official Bugs Bunny short during a six-year stint at Warner Brothers, where he was part of a team that was the first to challenge the supremacy of Disney in animation. 
But most of the films we looked at came from his long period at MGM between 1942 and 1955, where producer Fred Quimby gave full rein to Avery's manic, surreal style of direction. And his cartoons from that period are really made for adults rather than children and took aim at the cuteness of Disney's work. He particularly enjoyed parodying traditional fairy tales. Red Hot Riding Hood begins in expected fashion before the wolf, Red Riding Hood, and her grandma vent their frustration at the director. Good evening, kiddies. Once upon a time, Little Red Riding Hood was skipping through the woods. She was going to her grandmother's house to take Grandma a basket of nice goodies. But waiting in the woods was a mean old wolf ready to pounce upon Poor Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, stop it! Waiting in the woods with a mean old wolf ready to pound on poor Red Riding Hood. I'm fed up with that sissy stuff. It's the same old story over and over. If you can't do this thing a new way, bud, I quit. Me too! From there, the film is a wild ride in typical Avery fashion as the wolf arrives at the nightclub where Red Riding Hood is a disturbingly provocative singer. Other events coming up, well, the, the pick of the ones that we've got coming up in the near future is on Friday the 6th of March at 1.30pm. And I'm going to play you a little piece of music now. So that was an extract from the classic film La Dolce Vita. And if you were a member of the sellout audience that attended either of the two recent screenings of it at Chichester Cinema last month, you'll probably remember that it's the music that's played at a party where the hostess performs an impromptu striptease. Probably the most significant film-related anniversary of the year uh, of this year is the 100th anniversary of the birth of Fellini, the man behind not only La Dolce Vita, but other classics of Italian film, including Eight and a Half, La Strada, and Amacor. And the education department is joining in the celebration with a special event in the studio, as I said, on Friday the 6th of March. Now, this event has been put, together, been put together by my colleague in the education team, Michael Sturch, and we'd hoped to welcome Michael today to tell us about his very special guest that he'll be welcoming on that day. But unfortunately, Michael is poorly, so I'm going to have to summarise it as best I can. So the title of the talk that we're having is The Coming of La Dolce Vita, and we're basically really delighted to welcome Professor Emeritus Richard Dyer, formerly of King's College London. He actually wrote the BFI book on La Dolce Vita, which is being republished this year. Uh, and he's going to do a talk which is focusing on La Dolce Vita, although, of course, he will be referring to Fellini's other work as well. He's a renowned specialist in Italian cinema, and he's going to kind of explain the phenomenon which is La Dolce Vita. Much of the film's notoriety arose from the inclusion of real people and media stories of the time. And I'd like to uh, play a little clip from it now, because there, is, there are parts of it are actually in English. And uh, this clip features Anita Ekberg, who plays a kind of version of herself in the film. And in this sequence, she's at a press conference. This film was 
was uh, the first to introduce the term paparazzi for journalists who uh, were obsessed with getting authentic pictures of celebrities at the time. So here's Anita Ekberg being interviewed by assorted journalists. Now a question for the radio. What do you think about Italian foods? Oh, I adore it. Special spaghetti and candeloni. <laughs> Please, miss, dorme in pyjama or in camicia da notte? How do you sleep with pyjamas or night gone? Neither. I sleep only in two drops of French perfume. Solo con due gocce di profumo francese. Muy bien, madame, muy bien. When... Signor, ma nella vita che vi piace di più? What's the thing you like most in life? Yes, moment, Michelin. I like lots of things, but there are three things I like most. Love, love, in that clip, she is actually impersonating, in a way, another famous actress. And I'm not going to say who it is, because uh, Professor Dyer is going to reveal that in his talk, along with many other insights into the film. It's a very long film, nearly three hours, and it has a very kind of loose narrative structure and from what Michael said, Michael um, met Professor Dyer at Southampton University when Michael was doing his master's in film studies. And he said that Professor Dyer was able to pull together all the disparate elements of La Dolce Vita and really add to his enjoyment of the film. But that's not all as far as Fellini is concerned, because uh, Roger Gibson has said to me that in the film festival in the summer, which runs from the 13th to the 30th of August, he's going to be screening a whole range of Fellini's other films and we're going to have a second speaker then who will be uh, looking at uh, the, the whole breadth of Fellini's work. We'll be back in about a month's time to preview some more films and talk about cinema. So thanks to Carol and Patrick and everyone involved. The box office number at Chichester Cinema at New Park is 01243 786 650 so, it's goodbye from Carol. Goodbye, and I hope you've enjoyed the first podcast. And it's goodbye from Patrick. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Find us at chichestercinema.org. <laughs>